Shalom, everyone. This is Shomer Man with your Parsha Midnight Torah Study for Parsha Re'e. This is the first of the series of the week, so let's get started. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bachar Banu Mikol Hamim, Venatan Lanu Et Torato. Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah. Amen. Amen. May we be bound and attached to the Lapid, Mashiach Yeshua. May we be granted eyes to see and ears to hear. Today, may we hear his voice. Amen. So, Parashare A starts off in Devarim chapter 11, verse 26. So, the Chizkuni breaks it down on this verse. Re'e anoki notain lifnekim. Behold, I set before you. It says, up until now, Moshe had concentrated on the need to revere Hashem. From now on, he concentrates on spelling out specific mitzvot. Now, what I love about that is is pretty much the fact that before one can even begin to concentrate on have in their mind to do mitzvot, you have to understand that you need to have reverence. You need to have fear. You need to have love for Hashem. Yes, you need to have fear and love that needs to be completely unified because if you just love Hashem without fearing Him, that causes you to have this entitlement and uh, ultimately... You'll be disrespectful because you'll say he loves me so much that it doesn't matter what I do. But then if you have too much fear of Hashem, if you have too much yara, then you'll be so far disconnected from the love that he has for you that you'll begin to place yourself in a mode of obligation, a mode of weight and oppression because you're like, if I don't do this, then he's going to crush me and I will be under judgment and condemnation. And we know, obviously, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Torah, i.e. those who are in Mashiach. I know what you were thinking. You're probably like, oh, Romans 8. There we go. That's great. But um, that Torah and Mashiach, Torah and Mashiach Yeshua, we know, are synonymous because Mashiach Yeshua is the literally man manifestation. Like he is the man form of the Torah. Like if the if the Torah were to be made into human likeness, into flesh and blood, literally to walk among us, it's Yeshua HaMashiach. So. Therefore, those who are in Mashiach Yeshua, those who are in the Torah, literally made flesh, have no condemnation. Now, where do I derive that from specifically? Because we can look at the verse to make sure that we don't get into any misquoting. Well, I'm going to read to you from the expanded version of Romans, Romanos, chapter 8, verse 1. Interestingly enough, this section has a subtitle and it says, Be ruled by the Ruach, which we know Ruach is another synonym for Torah because 
the spirit is the Torah. It is the word of God. So in the beginning was the word. The word was God. Okay, so Yochanan 1.1. 1, 1, and then you understand that Hashem, our God, God is spirit. So let me quote to you that before I get to Romans 1. Just so you know, I'm not crazy. So God is spirit. Okay, so the source for God is spirit is Yochanan 4.24. God is spirit. God is, i.e., Ruach. And those who worship him must worship him and Ruach ve Amet, which we know that Amet is truth, which is Torah. And we know that Hashem's Torah is truth. So the Torah is truth. Uh, that is derived from Tehillim 119. And it is Tehillim 119, 142. Just so happen to have the green book in front of me. So I'm going to go to there. To 119, 142. And it says... Because, you know, I'm thinking there might be like some footnotes. And so, do we have a footnote for 142? Yes, we do. All right. For your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. Your Torah is a met. All right. So, it says the Zitkatka prayer. The Zitkatka prayer is, it is customary to recite this verse toward the conclusion of the Minka prayer on Shabbat afternoon. Some say it takes the place of, I guess I could put this over here. Okay. Some say it takes the place of Ziduk Hadin, a prayer that is said towards the end of a funeral in which we proclaim that God's judgment is just. Since it is our tradition that Moshe passed away, on Shabbat afternoon. Two other verses proclaim, or Slika, two other verses that proclaim God's righteousness, which is Tehillim 36 7, Tehillim 71 19. Slika, above are recited before the present verse. This verse, or this follows the order in which they appear in Tehillim. Each verse describes our appreciation of God's righteousness in ascending greatness. In the first, it is like the mighty mountains. In the second, it is to the heavens. And in the third, everlasting. The Minka prayer of Shabbat is the final prayer of the week. That's pretty legit. That's the uh, the Tav of the week. <laughs> Is the final prayer of the week and thus its seal. We therefore conclude our week with the word truth, since God's seal is truth. That is from the Shibole Halechet 126 and also Avudraham for other reasons for this custom. Okay, so your righteousness which is Zid Katka. Your Torah is truth. Your Torah is a met. And that is from Sefer Ya'arok.
So going back here to uh, Yokonai 4.24 real quick, because this is incredible seeing the fact that Hashem being Ruach, and we have to worship with the Ruach and the Torah. I mean, that's pretty much a uh, defining seal and like a, uh, I mean, it's pretty much like the standard. Like, I'm just kind of taken back right now because just from reading Yochanan 4.24, Mashiach himself is letting us know that if we want to serve Hashem, it's through the Torah. It's through Mashiach. Mashiach is the Torah. But he also points out that it's the Ruach. Like, so he himself, the manifestation of the word, the manifestation of Hashem, the Torah, and the Spirit of God, who is Hashem himself. Like, through Hashem, we worship and serve Hashem. And it takes Torah. It takes Mashiach. It takes the word of God like it's all wrapped up right there and so to divorce ourselves from torah and mitzvot which mitzvot are derived from torah so to say that the torah is is something that we need to refrain from doing or that it separates us from god or that it tramples the blood of mashiach underfoot because these are comments that are out there this is commentary that exists in the world today. These are opinions of leaders, of congregations of people that are out there today. And it's just like, has, is anyone reading Yochanan 4.24? Is anyone reading Tehillim 119.143? Because, you know, there exists this, this one um, source that is apparently called the New Testament, and it is a small book and it has uh, the Psalms and the Proverbs and basically Matthew through Revelation. And that's it. That's all this book is. And the funny thing about that is even if you had only that source, you still have Torah in there. Because if you look throughout all the Basura, all the accounts of Mashiach's teachings, which would be a Lakute Sikot work, I might add, because if you look at Lakute Sikot, that means talks, collected talks, a collection of talks. And Lakute Sikot is put out by Kehot, which is the Kabad um, publishing source that they use. And Kehot Publishing basically has collected the talks of the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And they've compiled them and they've put them into, uh, basically, they made it a source. And it's called Lakute Sikot. It's a, vol a voluminous work. And the cool thing about it, if you look at Matthew through Yochanan, you have a voluminous work of Mashiach Yeshua. And if we overlay Mashiach's words with the Torah, that would literally show us a picture of the spirit and the law. It would put those things together. So this is why at Lapid, it is very, very exciting. It is very, very like you just want to throw stuff. You just want to jump up and down. You just want to scream. You just want to run around like you're crazy or something. Because when you put these two things together, you pretty much experience 
what the sapphire tablets are. And B'nai Yisrael never got to experience what the sapphire tablets were. Why? Because we decided. Notice I said we. Because we are B'nai Yisrael, by the way. Those of us who have joined ourselves to Hashem. Which, if we are in Mashiach Yeshua, that's a way of joining yourself to Hashem. And side note, I do know I have not quoted Romans 8.1 yet. I need to get there. But, those of us who join ourselves to Hashem are, are called children of God. Children of God are the children of the patriarchs. The patriarchs are called children of God. And so, through that outflow, that's also in the Kehot Humash, Hasidic Insights, Bezrat Hashem, I will read that. Um, basically about how we're adopted children of God, and it's just like, oh, well, the Ruach adopts us, and it's just kind of like, okay. But anyway, I'm getting way, way off course. The the only the fact to say, to kind of summarize where I was veering off here, swerving way off into another trail, is that the sapphire tablets are experienced through Mashiach, and the written Torah and the oral Torah. Like when we put all that together, being filled with the spirit of Hashem, like that is the essence of the Sapphire Tablets. So this is why, you know, at Lapid, you will hear that through Mashiach Yeshua, we have the renewed Sapphire Tablets, which means that not only are we experiencing the the beauty of or the essence of the sapphire tablets as originally came down from the mountain moshe holding them and they were floating and the letters were uh floating in the tablets and all that kind of stuff the because the fact of the tablets getting shattered and then that being the broken body of mashiach yeshua because you know many sources say that the breaking of the tablets being uh re recounted in close proximity to the death of Aharon and Devarim just a few Torah portions ago that it uh, well actually just last week by the way it was in that was in studies last week it says that this means that the breaking of the tablets are likened to the death of the righteous <clears throat> if you think about all that because we know that Mashiach himself literally is the true righteous one then we're seeing when he is resurrected, which he is, the sapphire tablets are not only repaired, but they're taken to a higher level. I mean, it's the same thing when we make a descent, i.e. when we sin and we make teshuva, we're brought to a higher level. And then our sins through teshuva become merit for us. They become like boosters. And it's not that we should go and sin so that we can make teshuva to be on a higher level. That's not what that means, because one who decides to go into sin just for the sake of making teshuva to be made on a higher level, it doesn't work like that. There is no loophole for that. So if you're trying to find one, don't just say no and basically understand that there is no sacrifice for sin when it comes to wanting to do it on purpose. And that's why that would be written in Hebrews later on. So. Anyway, and we also covered that in last week's drosh um, for the 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 most recent midnight tour study that I posted for Parsha Ekev. I really went into how there is no sacrifice 
uh, that covers one who wants to willfully sin just for the sake of saying I'll be forgiven and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, back to Romans 8.1. Here we go. We made it. Baruch Hashem. So exciting. Okay. But anyway, it says, so now those who are in Mashiach Yeshua, i.e. those who are in Hashem, those who are in Torah, those who are in the Ruach HaKodesh, are not judged guilty, condemned, or punished for their sins. For, through or in Mashiach Yeshua, the principle or power, the law of the Spirit that brings life that you free from the law, the principle, or power that brings sin and death. So through Mashiach Yeshua, you are not judged guilty, i.e. you're not condemned and punished for sin through Mashiach Yeshua's Torah being the, the law, the spirit of life. Okay, so through that, we're set free from another law, which is the law of sin and death. And so it's interesting that right here we can see that there are completely two different Torahs. There is a Torah of life and there's a Torah of death. And um, interestingly enough that Judaism teaches about one who um, will basically the Torah becomes death to those who are using it for improper purposes, i.e. whether you want to self-aggrandize whether you want to uh, uphold without really truly attaching yourself to Hashem and seek to be submitted to its power because you want your own thing. Um, but anyway, so we see right here that there are two different laws. And later on in this chapter, actually, or late in the previous chapter, Romans 7, that we say that there's another law. You can see 723, it says there's another law, a different standard, another power working in my body, which makes war against the law that my mind accepts. So there's law versus law. You know, there's a law of life, law of death. And then not only that, but in this week's Torah portion, we see that Hashem says that through Moshe, by the way, Moshe relates these words, i.e. the words of Hashem, because he only speaks the words that Hashem gave him. So we covered that in uh, Parsha Devarim about how really these are Moshe's words, but really these are Hashem's words. So one who would say that these are just Moshe's words and not Hashem's words would be in error. Be basically that's an in, in, uh, incorrect interpretation. So, yes, we see a type and shadow right there through Mashiach Yeshua. That's why he would later say that my words that I speak are not my own, but they're the words of the one who sent me. Because basically Mashiach is doing a devouring teaching, which keep going with that. That, you know, uh, Rabbi Griffin brought that up on Shabbat uh, that... You know, isn't it interesting that Mashiach quoted from Devarim more than any other Sefer of Torah? And it's just like, well, yeah, if he's doing the same thing that Moshe did, then um, that now that makes sense. You know, connecting dots. Good night. So uh, anyway, it's just interesting that you can see that there are completely two different laws. And uh, in this week's Torah portion, A, it says that there's a blessing and a curse and the blessing, if you're obedient, the curse, 
if you are not obedient. And later on in Devarim chapter 30, Hashem shows us that the blessing is life and that the curse is death. And so now we see that from the same Torah, life and death emanate. So when Shaul is breaking it down in Romans 7 and 8 about the two different laws, it's really one law, but there is which side are you going to be on? If you're going to be disobedient, then it's going to be a law of death. But if you're going to be obedient, then it becomes a law of life. This is why, back to Romans 8, 1, to make the completion of this circle here, it says, for those who are in Mashiach Yeshua, we're not judged guilty or condemned. For through through and in Mashiach Yeshua, the law, the principle, the power of the spirit that brings life. How does the Torah bring life? Because we are obedient to it. So anyway, that's why that verse is there. And that's, uh, I think actually that's pretty cool. So shouts out to Hashem for setting us up and hooking us up with some awesomeness. So that was from uh, the He's Kuni on Devarim 11.26 with a lot of elucidations and some connecting dots and swerves. Um, because, again, to finish out where I started from, Devarim 11.26, He's Kuni was the one who says, uh, from up until now in Devarim, basically, Moshe had concentrated on the need to revere Hashem. From now on, he concentrates on spelling out specific mitzvot. There is that. And then I want to jump from there right into Dot Zekanim. Okay, so first of all, Devarim 11.26 on Dot Zekanim says, Behold, Anoki, same phrase basically as the Hizkuni. Moshe is asking the Israelites to choose that which Hashem said to them in Shemot 20, verse 2. Yes, in Shemot 20, verse 2, that is like the most epic section of Shemot, at least to me. I was mind blown because it talks about the fact that when Hashem uses Anoki, that that's apparently an Egyptian word and it represents Yosef. And that was from um, the Kehert Humash on some Hasidic insights, lost a mind. And then uh, the Or HaChaim has such a ridiculous layout on that chapter. Like, man, I, I mean, I would go get it right now, but I only have an hour. So, and I've used 22 minutes of that hour. So, uh, you know, got to move fast here. But anyway, um, so epic. And then right here, we're going back to that verse, Shemot 20, verse 2, when Hashem says, Anoki, and Dot Zekanim is all like, Moshe is asking us, Israelites, because remember, Israelites, Jews, B'nai Israel, it's all the same thing. And so it says, to choose that which Hashem said to them. So he's pointing us not only back to the mitzvot, like the ten, the ten commandments. But he's really saying that when Hashem says Anoki, so we're supposed to go back there as we're looking at Parsha Re'e. So see, I set before you. So us hearkening to Hashem's word. Okay, so this is basically what they're saying right out the gate, and so it continues. Hence the repetition here of Moshe's quoting of. The quoting, Sleeka, this is kind of written weird. Okay, hence the repetition here 
of Moshe's quoting attribute of God, so quoting the attribute of God, quoting that attribute of God, which is Anoki, it says, an alternate in the interpretation of our verse, behold, it is I who gave goodness, therefore I am different from anyone else. Moshe, not having been aware that when he descended from Mount Sinai, that his forehead radiated light. Okay, so that's the first part. And then it goes into say, I am different from anyone else. Moshe not having been aware. And then it says, I am placing before you blessing and curse. In this lower world exists a mixture of blessing and curse. In the world after the arrival of the Mashiach, there will be only blessing. So right now, because we have this choice, and by the way, if you really look at what this is alluding to, you're choosing which side you're going to be on. Like you're going to walk in blessing with Hashem, or are you going to walk in disobedience, which is curse and death with Hashem? Because either way, I mean, that's your choice. But just know that with the arrival of Mashiach, there will only be blessing. So if you're choosing to walk in curse... You might want to be careful with that because remember, the more you choose to be disobedient, your heart hardens. And then at some point, you're given over to your hardened heart. And what that point is, we don't know. This is why we look at Pharaoh from uh, Parashat Shemod and like the first couple of Torah portions in there. Because at one point, Pyro was just saying, no, I'm not going to let the people go. And then after a certain point, Hashem helps Paro say, no, I'm not going to let the people go. And so we don't want to put ourselves in that place because when there comes a time with the arrival of Mashiach, may it be speedily and soon in our days, when there will only be blessing. If you're a person who's been walking contrary to that and you have a hardened heart, it may be difficult. I'm just throwing it out there. Hopefully this is not true for anybody because Hashem desires that all men be saved. So me, by default, I desire the same thing. That's why I always pray for the wicked. I always pray for those who are walking in disobedient. I pray for myself when I'm disobedient. Goodness, what is wrong with me? Right? We all need to get some help. But I pray that no one is found walking in curses with hardened hearts because at some point we won't be able to turn back. You know? So, Re'e, Anoki, Noten, Lifnekem, Baraka, Uklala, which is blessing and curse. Behold, see, I said before you today, blessing or curse. Let's choose. Wisely, just like Hashem says in Devarim 30, he says, choose life, which means choose the blessing, which means choose to be obedient, please. All right. So that's my introduction for this week's Torah portion with a few sources, because where I'm going now is to the amazing Hassan, our Jewish Spider-Man. This guy is just uh, insane. And... uh, He definitely uses his suit to the best of his abilities. So I can appreciate that as well as, man, what is wrong with him? He needs to definitely get some help because he decided to quote from the daily dose of Torah on Parsha Re'eh. And this is really kind of where I want to finish out the rest of our time 
uh, with this whole idea here. So it says in this vein, all Sheik adds that the word et, which is Aleph Tav, by the way, preceding Baraka connotates that it is more valuable than Kilala, which is curse. So the Aleph Tav being placed in front of Baraka connotates that it is more valuable than the curse. Okay. It says this stems from the fact that aside from the reward one is entitled to for the mitzvah itself and the hereafter, one gains perot, which is dividends in this world. And might I add, if you look at just a Basically, if you look at just the phonetic spelling of this word perot, you can look at it and say fruit. Pe can be pronounced as F sound, like a fe, P-H, even. And then you got the reot. So it can literally be pronounced ferot, ferut, like ferut. Like you can kind of hear that sound in there, the homiletic. And, um, or homonym, I should say. And then um, that means dividends, which we know that fruits are dividends. They're payoffs. So looking at that, it says from the reward, which is the Aleph Tav Braka, one is entitled to for the mitzvah. In the hereafter, one gains dividends in this world. There you go. So you get blessed. You get fruit from being obedient. And that fruit obviously among life would be uh, many, many things that we can bless Hashem for. So I'm going to continue reading Daily Dose here. It says, in a more sobering comment on the expression, Asher Tishme'u El Mitzvot Adonai Elohekim. So it says, in that, it says, Al Sheik cites a Midrash on Devarim 4.3. So that verse I just, that little phrase I just quoted, that's the next verse in our Torah portion here. So let me go over that for us. It's important to know the Hebrew, you know, because, you know, I'm going to go ahead and quote Yeshiyahu, my coworker, that he was saying, if you really look at the Hebrew, it really explains everything and takes away all of the arguments. You know, many people try to argue that it means this. Many people try to argue that it means that. You know, but if you just study the Hebrew, if you just look at it, it takes away all the arguments. And it's just kind of like it's all explained there. And you can have the words of the sages. You have this complete, you know, Rashi commentary. It makes it very, very simple for us to not get ourselves all twisted up in the game when we're looking at the Hebrew. So, Devarim 11.27 basically says, Et Habraka. Uh, where is my? There we go. Asher tishmeu mitzvot Adonai Elohekim. Asher anoki mezave etkem hayom. There is another phrase from the Shema. This may sound familiar. Asher anoki mezave etkem hayom, which is uh, which I command you today. So if you look at the Shema, that's in the second paragraph. So that little phrase there. But anyway, so Asher Tishmeu O Mitzvot Adonai Elohekim. We're going to learn some Hebrew. That means that you will heed the commandments of Hashem, your God. 
So that's what that phrase means. So Al Sheikh is talking about that from Devarim Rabbah 4.3 from a Midrash. It states, Uvakarta Bekayim. This is referring to the verse Devarim 30.19. You shall choose life. So Devarim 30.19 is where I was basically talking about earlier when I was saying Hashem helped us out with our choice that we need to be walking in blessing, obedience, life. That's Devarim 30, 19. Okay? And it says, so Al-Sheikh is citing this Midrash, Devarim Rabbah 4.3. Quoted it again. That states that B'nai Yisrael said, not only did he place before us two paths, life and death. He advised us that we should choose life. He placed before us two paths. Okay, I'm going to go to Shomer Blue real quick, which is the Midrash Mishle. Or the Mishle Midrash. And I just want you to know that in chapter 8, which is the wonderful chapter on Chokmah, which is wisdom, it says in verse 2 Beit Netivot, Beit Netivot Nizava, which is at the place where pathways diverge, she stands. Wisdom is called a she, okay, which is the Torah. So the Torah being wisdom, it says that she is standing at a pathway. It says the Torah's message is found here at the busy crossroads to guide passer to guide the passerby onto the correct path. That's the Ralbog. The Talmud of Vodazera 19a discusses the phrases atop the heights and along the way. Initially, the Torah appears to be found only atop the heights, i.e. it's not in heaven, but subsequently it appears along the way. It is very near you. It's in your heart to confess it. I just mashed up Devarim 30 with Romans chapter 10. So there's that. And then Marharsha explains that at first it seems to be beyond comprehension. As if on the heights. But after continued study, one realizes that the Torah is easily accessible, as if it were along the way. So, you know, just want to say that there, even in the Shomer Blue over here, is bringing out that there's different pathways that the Torah so chooses day. Uh, if you want to be even more. Uh, savvy to what the best option is you may have heard about this verse as for me and my house from Yehoshua 24 15 but if serving Hashem seems undesirable to you then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your ancestors or whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites, and whose land you are living. So, if you're going to do any of that, but Yehoshua says, but as for me and my household, we will serve Hashem. So, we know that Yeshua here is Joshua, and he has the same name as the Mashiach. And if you think about the remez of this verse, the illusion level, if you were to consider yourself of the house of Yehoshua, 
you would be serving Hashem, i.e. you would be obedient. And this is why Mashiach Yeshua says in Yochanan, I believe it's 14, 15. Let me just double check myself. But we all know the verse. The verse is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Oh, yeah, that is 14, 15. Why don't I just go ahead and read this little section? It's just a couple of verses. If you love me, you will obey my mitzvot. If you love me, obey my mitzvot. This may be either a declaration or a command. Again, I'm reading from the expanded Bible. It's absolutely insane that they put that there. Verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, a counselor, an advocate, the Ruach HaKodesh, to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, the Ruach HaEmet, okay? So the Torah. And then it says the world cannot accept or receive him because it does not see him or know him but you know him because he lives and remains and abides with you and he will be in or among you now put that together with the Mishle Midrash has dropped about studying the Torah you realize the Torah is easily accessible as if it were along the way and it's not something that's beyond our comprehension i.e. It's not something that we can't see. It's not something that we don't know because we're in it. And why are we in it? Because we're in Mashiach. And you cannot be in Mashiach and not in Torah. Like, that just doesn't work. Uh, somehow it's taught that that works. And I don't know how that happened. But uh, we need to put that back together. So get the whole truth and nothing but the truth. All right. Anyway, verse 18 of Yochanan 14. I will not leave you all alone like orphans. Okay, orphans had little or no support in ancient society. Oh, here we go. I will come back and come to you. Okay, here's his saying, I will come back, I will return. Just like Moshe returned back to Mitzrayim to go get the people. And then uh, Yosef was returned back to his brothers. And Yaakov was returned back to his household, his home. And so, I mean, we see the types and shadows right there, obviously. And then it says, um, and for that fact, David did the same thing, you know, because he was set up as king as far as the anointing goes by Shamuel. And then he spent pretty much a whole lot of time running away for his life because King Shaul was trying to kill him. But ultimately, he was brought back to Yerushalayim as king, and he reigned for 40 years. So there's that. Moshe was also a king for 40 years in the wilderness. So there's that. And that was after he returned back to the Jewish people. And so we see that Mashiach will be returned to us because he just has to be. So this is why it's so important if we really look at our Emunah in Hashem to where we can know Mashiach will be returned, and we must wait for him even though he tarries, even though he delays. Which, while I'm taking this time of dovetailing all over the place, I want to um, shout out that if you think about where we're at in this current time frame, because we're praying that Mashiach will be returned speedily in our days, we're seeing signs of the end that Mashiach told us about in Matthew 24. And with all this going on, it's like he can be here any minute now. He actually should have been here by now. You know, we're kind of in that zone 
you know, uh, I love listening to Rabbi Alana Nava on this because, you know, he's really putting it out there, what's going on in Israel. And so uh, he is a big advocate of, you know, really praying for Mashiach to come now. And he's like expecting, like, come on, where is he? You know, and so where we are, if you think about this whole context, we're like at the foot of the mountain waiting on Moshe to come down the mountain with the sapphire tablets. We're literally in the spiritual concept and principle of that moment because it was in that time frame that B'nai Yisrael, we counted the days. It was going to be 40 days. And it's like on the 40th day, our Savior, oh, Slika, I mean, not our Savior, Moshe, or, or did I mean Slika? Because, you know, Moshe is called a savior, a redeemer. So he's called the open mem. Mashiach is called the closed mem. You can see that they're really like this uh, this overlay of one another. They even have the same name. That's why Moshe, Sagamatris 345, and the word or the name Shiloh or Shiloh has the same Gematria as 345 which is a name of Mashiach, which is the Sheen of Mashiach. That Sheen in Mashiach stands for Shiloh. So that we know that's one of Mashiach's names is Shiloh. And then you put that together with the fact of the phrase Yavo Shiloh, which is, and when Shiloh comes, or when Shiloh comes, Slika, or remember we learned Yavo can also mean return. So when Shiloh returns, when Moshe returns, or it's way too much going on right now. Okay, so when Moshe returns, just want to throw it out there that this is why you might read some Hasidic literature that talks about when Mashiach comes, literally Yavo Shiloh, that it will be Moshe or man. We already have talked about reincarnation. We know that that's not a thing. So but just for the sake of the source, it'll say that Mashiach is like Moshe reincarnated. And so it's just kind of like, all right, I get what you were trying to do there. But that's not what that is. We know that Mashiach Yeshua was before creation. And we know that Moshe is obviously a, a man. And Mashiach is like not just a man, you know, kind of thing. So anyway, um, but you can still see the picture that. Oh my goodness. So this kind of hit me right now. So it's not really that when Moshe returns, but when the end of what Moshe began return. I like that. That's kind of cool because again, if you think about the, the concept of the mem, the open mem and the closed mem, the closed mem comes after the open mem. And it's also stated that Moshe began what Mashiach will finish. So, I mean, if you think about all that, I mean, so, okay, so Yavo Shiloh, when Mashiach returns, when Mashiach comes, okay, so there's a picture of Moshe, yeah, all right, so just thinking about all that, but we can see here that clearly um, Mashiach returning is bringing us uh, to this point where we are now that we're waiting for him, just like we were waiting for Moshe to come down the mountain after 40 days. With that being said, we're waiting even though he delays. So what happened in the past when we were waiting on the Mashiach to come down? We were waiting 
I mean, Sleeka, we were not waiting. We got discouraged because Hasatan basically was showing pictures of Moshe, like, not making it. I.e., he was stating that Moshe is not coming. He was stating that Moshe died. And we did good resisting the first two temptations. But on the third one, it was too much because basically there was a picture of Moshe shown on his burial uh, shrouds or like um, a, a beer, basically, that uh, he was dead. And so this picture was shown to us by the adversary. And that's when the people were like, that's when we were like, oh, man, Moshe is dead. We need a replacement for Hashem. Literally, that's how it's stated. That's why it says that when the golden calf was worshipped, it's like, this is your Hashem, you know, and let's make a festival to him. And that's what caused Hashem to be so upset because it's like, you're talking about me and you're looking at my image, but it's not my image because it's an image you made. And now you're saying that the image you made is my image and that this is me. And that's a problem because Moshe apparently is quote unquote dead. Okay, so if you connected any dots or if we connect any dots in what I just said, because what I just said is basically an immense paraphrase of what the actual Parsha, Kitisa and Midrashim show us. Okay, because Moshe died, we needed... A replacement for Hashem to replace Moshe basically because Moshe is the Redeemer who connects us with Hashem even though we don't really need a mediary or intermediary Slika but we we asked for him you know because we said okay we can't hear from God no more it's too much for us like because we were dying if again read Shemot chapter 20 it's all that going on uh, but anyway so Moshe is the representative for the people, which Mashiach is a body of many members. That's why we can see that Mashiach represents us because we all together are like him. And just like Yisrael chose Moshe to go up the mountain, it's just like, okay, Rabbah, my my faithful people, for choosing me to do the thing that you didn't want to do. But anyway, so... Technically, us and Hashem meet when Moshe and Hashem are having a conversation on the mountain. But then we know that Moshe is Hashem's shliach, just like Memtet is also called Hashem's shliach. And just like Mashiach Yeshua truly is Hashem's, Hashem's, my goodness, Hashem really, is Hashem's shliach. That's why Yeshua always said, the one who sent me, the one who sent me, the one who sent me, i.e., I am sent. Which means that when Mashiach sends us, yes, we represent Mashiach. So that's why the term Yehudim or Bnei Yisrael or Mashiachim, all of that represent who we are. So, you know, it, did he send us? And if he sent us, we should be doing the same things he did. And uh, yeah, so just leaving that there. So what did Mashiach do really is the question. And all one needs to do is read the Basura to find that out. But anyway, so then, okay, my image. And so we know that Moshe spoke to the image of Hashem, Bami Bar chapter 12, uh, Numbers chapter 12. It says, Moshe speaks to my image. 
then we knew that the image of Hashem is Mashiach, because if you've seen Mashiach, you've seen Hashem. If you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. And then that Mashiach Yeshua himself is the manifestation of the invisibility of Hashem. You know, that's also in Colossians. And then, um, you know, just really just connecting that. So because Moshe died, we made a golden calf. We didn't think he was going to return. And then lo and behold, it wasn't till after we were dancing around the golden calf that Moshe came down the mountain, which, by the way, who was on the mountain or who was somewhere near the mountain encamped? It was none other than Yehoshua. And so so Moshe comes back with Yeshua to the camp after shattering the tablets. Yeah. So there's that Moshe and Yehoshua basically are together coming down the mountain. So there's your Yavo Shiloh again. But anyway, you just kind of look at all that. Needless to say, we do not need to make a golden calf. So I pray that Mashiach will come soon in our days and that we will merit to see it and that we will also merit to hasten his return. But at the same time, we need to make sure we do not make a golden calf because good night. This time there will be no recovery from that because how long are we going to put Hashem to the test? He will not contend with us. But anyway, I was reading Yochanan 14. I know it's hard to believe, but that was that was what we were doing. <laughs> and uh, I was leaving off on verse 18 because Mashiach says I will come back. Anyway, verse 19. Okay, one more swerve. Okay, so that means... Yavo and Shuv basically are related because Yavo being return and Shuv means return, you know, so we're, we can already see that those words are kind of similar and related. So repentance is the return. Okay, So that's how we return to Hashem is repentance. All right. So I don't know why I brought that up. Just hit my mind and I just want to share live thoughts. We are doing a midnight tour study. So you're just going to get very unstructured. This is what's happening to me while I'm sharing with you what I'm seeing and by default what I'm hearing. Okay, so verse 19 in a little while, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live and you will live too. Okay, so the cool thing about that is that's what's currently happening with Lapid. We're seeing Mashiach and not other people are seeing Mashiach, i.e. we're seeing the Torah and the law put together in one and we're walking in it. And so it's just kind of like, okay, so the abiding in Mashiach concept uh, that's happening right now. And people look at us weird and sideways all the time like we're crazy going, uh, yeah, so... I don't really get what you're doing and this doesn't really make any sense. And it's just like, well, if you really listen to the voice of Hashem, if you listen to the voice of Mashiach, which is the same thing, trust me, it is the same thing. Just just know that, believe that and trust that. So whether you listen to Mashiach or whether you listen to Hashem, the answer is yes. Okay, So that's happening right now. There's literally this happening where we're seeing Mashiach and it's just kind of like, wow. And by the way, that is the definition of Ray A in this week's story portion. That's what it means to see. Seeing means hearing the voice of Hashem. So this is how you can see the sounds. 
through Ray A. Anyway, um, someone will be breaking that down for us at Shabbat, uh, but with the help of Hashem, they will be breaking that down for us in a drosh at Shabbat, at Tzar Shalom, get you some synagogue. Don't know who that'll be, but you know, somebody's going to be breaking that down. Anyway, these are a sign of things to come. All right, so verse 20. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and that you are in me, and I am in you. Wow, that verse is right here. So on that day, when, uh, you know, when Mashiach returns to us, we will know that we are, that he is in his father and that, or our father, because, you know, we got the same daddy now. It says that he is in, that I am in my father and that you are in me and I am in you. So there's the whole union. So just because you believe in Mashiach, that doesn't separate you from Hashem. That makes you one with Hashem. Just like people having faith in Moshe, just like us having faith in Moshe, B'nai Yisrael, believing in Hashem and his servant, you know, um, from Shemot. And it's just like, there's a picture right here. So if believing in Hashem and Moshe was one thing, how much more so is being in Mashiach, you know, and believing in Hashem. It's just kind of like, wow. Okay, so the only way to believe truly in Mashiach is to believe in Hashem, basically, is where that needs to go. So it's just like, you know, why is this Mashiach concept, this Mashiach element so important? Well, because you can't have Hashem without Mashiach, and you can't have Mashiach without Hashem. It's just like, they're that one. You know, he's the right arm of Hashem. He is the compressed... Uh, contracted zim zoom is the con uh, the technical term of Hashem. You know, just like the Torah is the zim zoom of Hashem, just like Anoki. And I wrote myself down and gave it to you, my essence, who I am. This is why you can say that when the word logos is used in Yochanan chapter one, and people say, "Oh yeah, that's the essence." It's like, yeah, just like the Torah. So there you go. Logos, essence, whether you want to say that this was the essence of Hashem or that this was the flesh of Hashem, then uh, you need to know that those things are related and they are. There's our alarm. Hey, guess what we're going to do? We're just going to keep going. Mashiach didn't tell us what was the limit of staying awake with him for one hour was. So we're just going to push through. And, you know, the body is weak, but the spirit is willing. But anyway, uh, I say that because sometimes you can quote Yochanan 1 and say, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and the Word, you know, later on in the chapter says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's just like, some people will be like, yeah, that was the essence. That wasn't truly like the Torah or the law of God, you know, because... You know, that can't be the word of God. And it's just like, ooh, chasbe shalom. But anyway, I'm just bringing this out because I just want to have you equipped. You know, make sure you suit up and be ready for these kind of uh, off-the-wall comments. Because it seems so clear when you read it. But then it's like when someone who is in op opposition to Torah, when they try to speak back to you, it all of a sudden gets all mucked up. Murky, can't see it, and... Uh, you know, it's just kind of like, wow, like it seems so simple. And it's like, yeah, it is simple. 
don't don't even for a minute doubt that it's not simple. You know, it is simple. All right. So verse 21 of Yochanan 14. Those who know and have my commands and obey and keep them are the ones who love me. And my father will love those who love me. I will love them and will show and reveal myself to them. Okay, so there's that. Uh, I'm going to keep going. Then Yehuda, not Iscariot, said, But Adonai. Later he calls Yeshua Adonai. Yep, that just happened. Why do you and how is it that and what has happened that you plan to show and reveal yourself to us and not to the rest of the world? Uh, that's a that's a great question in the midst of this gargantuan throwdown that Yeshua is on. Yehuda's on some other stuff over here. Like, uh, why do you plan to show yourself to us and not to the rest of the world? Yeshua says, if people love me, they will obey my teaching. They will keep my word, i.e., if people love me, they will do what is connotated in re'e. There's kind of interesting sounds going on outside. I don't really know what that is. I have no idea. That could either be rain or something else. Either way, Baruch Shem, I will keep teaching Torah. I hope that would be the coming of Mashiach, you know, because it'd be really nice to be in the middle of midnight Torah study and then Mashiach just shows up. But I digress. Okay, so if people love me, they will obey me. Keep my word, my teaching. This is Ray A, by the way. And it says, my father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. Those who do not obey my teaching and keep my words, this teaching which is my word that you hear is not really mine. It is from my father who sent me. Oh, there we go right there. The one who sent me. There's your Sliok verse. Um, by the way, there's a whole um, get you some on Memtet uh, by Benny B. That's why I was quoting um, that Memtet is a Sliok of Hashem. So on Parsha Mishpatim, uh, for Benny B, he basically goes into all the sources on that. So just know that, believe that, trust that. And then, uh, so Yeshua is over here saying that it's basically about love and obedience and Hashem dwelling with us and keeping the words of Mashiach and all that. And so this is why... You know, the answer to Yehuda's question is you will show yourself to us and not to the rest of the world. And again, I will say this. Um, if you go back up here to verse 19, uh, no, sleek out verse 17 says the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, receive him because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he lives, remains and abides with you and you will be in or and will be with you and he will be in or among you. And then verse 19, in a little while the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live with because I live, you will live too. And then you can kind of see the the connection between verse 17 and 19 that the the spirit, the Torah, the truth uh, will be seen by us because it abides in us. And then Mashiach says that 
uh, and the world, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. He's already connecting himself with the Torah right there. So that's, did not really realize that. So I was somehow quoting from <laughs> the Daily Dose of Torah from the Amazing Kazan, and we swerved all the way off into that. So um, basically the choosing life that the two there are two paths placed before us and we're to choose life uh so al sheik on the midrash of devarim rabbah 4 3 quoting about devarim 30 19. okay let's move to the next statement puzzled as to why one would need advice in choosing the obvious path of life rather than death al sheik explains that at times One's piety and service to Hashem bring him suffering, and he is liable to regret his righteousness. Because if we choose life, it may lead to us suffering. <laughs> it's like, well, then how is that life? Well, did not Mashiach say, carry your crucifixion stake and follow after me? Because if we follow him, we're following life because we know Mashiach is life and him was life. He was the light of man, like that whole thing. But then we're carrying a crucifixion stake and it's just like, wait, what? Why do we got to do that? It's just like, well, you have to kill yourself. You have to die. You have to die daily, you know? And it's just like, oh my word, this is life. Life is dying to ourselves. Like, I don't know about this. And it's like, yeah, you might want to consider that. You might want to count the cost of being a Talmud of Mashiach, being a follower of life. Being a follower of Torah, count the cost. Okay, this is why you don't just rush into Torah. This is why you take your time because you're building a tower. Now, uh, there's a this concept of Tower of Salvations. By the way, I'm just quoting this off the top of my head, but there was a section in Zohar that's talking about the Tower of Salvation, and that was connected to the teachings of Mashiach. And uh, this Torah that has this light that is beyond the colors that we see in this world. And I cannot for the life of me remember what Torah portion that was. But there was a Torah portion where myself and the youth, we were sitting down talking about this Tower of Salvation. And both all of us blue screened. It was just kind of like, um, and then I'm thinking to myself, like, I cannot believe I'm sitting here with teenagers who basically are in the Zohar right now. And they're actually getting it and understanding it. And it's just like, wow, dude. Okay, but anyway, I uh, I just went there. I just had a moment, you know. I just, like, I don't know what you call, because it's not daydreaming, but it's like daydreaming. Because, like, I went back to that trauma. So, like, I don't know. I'm having a P PTSD or something. I don't know. Uh, anyway. It's neither here nor there, Matt. Just stay on topic. Okay. All Sheik explains that at times one's piety and service to Hashem bring him suffering, and he is liable to regret his right his righteousness. It is for such circumstances that Moshe advised them to choose life and not be disappointed, depressed, or regretful of their observant life. It is for such circumstances that Moshe advised them to choose life and not be disappointed, depressed, or regretful of their observant life. Our verse is alluding to the concept that when you heed the mitzvot, 
whether the result is displayed as coming from Hashem, meaning the attribute of mercy, or from Elohim, meaning the attribute of justice, which is Elohim, by the way, and just saying Elohim, that's your God. So whether it's from Hashem, merciful attribute, or from Elohim, justice attribute, you should continue in the faithful service of Hashem in the manner of Asher Tishma'u, which by the way, the initial letters of that phrase is Aleph Tav. You shall continue in Aleph Tav, which means you hearken. Asher Tishma'u, which means you shall hearken. So continue in faithful service, whether it's through the results of mercy or through the results of justice. Absolutely with certainty and with no remorse or doubt. Okay. Why in the world do I bring that up? Dot Zekanim. You gotta quote it. Dot Zekanim on verse eleven twenty-seven of our Torah portion this week. Et Habaraka Asher Tishmeu et Mitzvot Hashem Ve et Hakla im lo Tishmeu el Mitzvot Hashem. And the blessing, if you shall hearken to the mitzvot of Hashem, and the curse, if you shall not hearken to the mitzvot of Hashem. Our author feels the need to explain this by a parable. Don't you just love these parables? Mashiach did the same thing. So it's interesting that Judaism expresses teachings and concepts through parables. And this is how we know that Mashiach was Jewish. He's not only Jewish because of his birth, he's even Jewish in the way that he taught and the way that he teaches, by the way. So there's that. It says an old man. Okay. Now I want to stop right there because in the Kehert Humash, I was just out of the blue, just punched right in the mouth by the inner dimensions of chapter 14, verse 1, with some Baal Shem Tov. And chapter 14, verse 1, I don't even know how he even got there. Obviously, this is a Hashem thing. But the phrase, you are children of God, your God. He comments on this. It says the Baal Shem Tov's analogy to elderly parents implies that as stated above the Jew originates in God's essence an elder deserves respect by virtue of the wisdom i.e. chokmah he has acquired during his lifetime his long life kiddushin 32b chokmah is the first and thus the oldest of the sefirot Furthermore, it is the gateway of the supra-consciousness, conscious levels of the soul, and by analogy to the Godhead. Yeah, they use Godhead over here. So it's the gateway to Hashem, basically, including the inner dimension of Keter, which is the Sephirah the sephira above Chokmah, or... Uh, the sephira within Chokmah, because all the sephirot outflow from each other. They're like nested in one another. And then it says, this is known by the biblical epithet Atik 
Yomin, which is the Ancient of Days. So Chokmah encapsulates the Ancient of Days. So if you want to know wisdom, you need that that helps you know Hashem. So if you know wisdom, Sleek, if you know wisdom, you get to know Hashem. Then it says it is at this level that the Jewish soul is one with God. Okay, so there it is. There's the full circle for you. So Yochanan 14, that whole get you some that we were going through. We become one with Hashem through Chokmah. And Chokmah is considered to be an elder. This old man. Dot Zekanim is talking about here. So, anyway. An old man. The Torah. Mashiach Yeshua. Sat at a parting of a path. So, uh, it says an old man sat at a parting of a path. And so, you know, obviously through what we just elucidated, you can now understand why I would say Torah or Yeshua or Chokmah. Okay. It says one of the parts continues smoothly, but will soon become covered with thorns and thistles, making progress almost impossible. The other is strewn with thorns and thistles already immediately, but will become smooth later on. This is what the old man, Mashiach, Yeshua, Torah, Chokmah, explained to anyone asking him which path to take. The reason I made that funny voice is because I was making myself uh, inserted with italicies into this. It says that... Um, this is what the old man explains to anyone asking him which path to take. This is what the old man explains to anyone. Okay, he explains these two paths. The old man naturally advises a traveler to take the path that has thorns and thistles only initially. Some travelers, seeing that the man is old, do not take his advice. They're like, oh, what does wisdom know? Oh, what does Yeshua know? Oh, what does the Torah know? Man, you're crazy, son. It's thorns and thistles right there. What are you talking about? So this is what the travelers are thinking. This is why there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Like, that's why I quoted that proverb a while back. All right, let me get that for you real quick. That was Mishle 1412. Okay, the way that seems right. And also 1625? Oh, let me look at these verses real quick. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Don't get it twisted. Okay. So there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. That is the 1412. And here's the 1625. There's a way that appears to be right, but in... Oh, my word. It's the same phrase. Seriously? All right. We're swerving again. Stand by because you know I had to do it. Show me blue. Show me if there's any difference between 1412. Okay, so 1412. Uh, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it's end our ways of death. He commits a sin and says it is not a transgression. That's Rashi. Alternatively, a way may seem to be right, but be the one that leads to death. That's Mizuto. People often delude themselves. So it is important, as stated in previous verses, to evaluate one's actions. God presents a person with two paths. One seems smooth and straight, but then becomes full of thorns, 
pits and obstacles. Secondly, it is or the second is initially narrow and covered with thorns, but it turns into a beautiful landscape path. Similarly, each person is presented with two options. Either he is attracted to physical pleasures that will lead to sin and Gehenna, or he may choose to amass treasures for the hereafter. That's from the all Sheik. Okay, so you see Dotzekanim and Mashiach Yeshua. They're all like quoting the same stuff. It's like they're related or something. Mishle 1625. Come on. It says, this identical verse is found in the above, 14.12. I'm just beside myself right now. How did I not realize this before? Interpretations vary as to why it is repeated. The original iteration was a comment on joy and supporting, or Slika, joy and sporting, like sporting, like sports, like hoorah, sports. Or I mean, Slika, hooray, go team, sports. Hoorah is more of a different type of sport, like an army type sport, like a armed forces, military type. There we go. Um, then it says, okay, Marines to be specific. All right. Don't want to let my rabbi down. Good night. Okay. Uh, the same verse or same chapter 14, 13 basically was talking about the iteration on commenting on joy and sporting. And it says, which may not be as harmless as they appear. Here it is stated as an introduction to the next verse, Rabbi Yonah. The next verse says, the spirit that toils, toils for itself when its mouth submits itself to it. Okay, so that's, so the same verse is repeated in Mishle, but they're for two different things. And just to break that down real quick, someone who toils in Torah toils for himself because he will be rewarded for his choice. But if he toils merely to feed his mouth, there is no reward because instinct forces him to do so. That's from the Chevel Nachala. And it says, our translation follows Ralbag, who relates Akaf, which is um, submit and Kafuf, which is bent, with the implication of submission. A kaf is Aleph Kaf Fe. And then it says, when the mouth, which naturally desires to be pampered with delicacies, submits to the needs of the soul and restrains its desires, then that person will truly possess the fruits of his labor. A person who toils for material gain does not necessarily get to enjoy it. Ooh, that boy. So true. Rabbi Yonah refers Akaf as burdened. Okay, submitting is being under a burden. Okay, and it says the previous verses reference to a path that gives the illusion of being correct. He states concerns the pursuit of gastronomical pleasures. Yes, he is talking about pursuing your stomach. Okay, because there's lots of times where people go, yeah, I would love to be Torah observant and all this kind of stuff and follow God, but I just love pork. It's just like, oh, so you're after the pursuit of your stomach. Well, you're under a burden if that's the case. That's the burden that you're under. You're under the burden of your stomach. 
and pretty much we all know if you eat too much and if you eat and you're not uh, having a good diet not that kosher is a good diet it is a spiritual diet but uh, you might eat too much and um, your stomach does definitely become a burden but here on the principal fact that if you are pursuing the pursuit of your stomach's pleasures i.e. you want to eat whatever you want to eat even if it's not what God has said is okay for you to eat, you're under a burden. So this is really setting up a beautiful picture to show us that if you're not uh, following the law of God, then you're under a burden. Which is interesting because people say if you follow the law of God, you're under a burden. And it's like, well, yeah, did not Mashiach Yeshua say, take my yoke upon you? Because one who takes a yoke, that implies that they're taking on a weight. But the thing is, that's why Yeshua says my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So, yes, it is a burden to be under Torah, but it is not a burden like being not under Torah because that's where the weight is. So you're wearing something that looks heavy when you're in Torah. But when you're not in Torah, you're wearing something that looks heavy and it actually is heavy. Here's the picture of there's a law and there's a law. There are the two laws, Romans 8, Romans 7. Okay, back to that again. Anyway, it says this path appears to be correct because it does not involve any blatant prohibitions. Nevertheless, it may end up being spiritually deadly for the soul burdens itself by struggling on behalf of the body. Now, the soul is working for the body instead of the body working for the soul. Man. Okay, then it says, while it ignores its own needs. Okay, so the soul burdens itself, struggling on behalf of the body while ignoring its own needs. That's pretty bad. So if you're not observing Torah, if you're not following Mashiach, if you're not being in Mashiach, your soul is ignoring its needs. Your soul is starving, but your body's not. Your body's like, oh man, I'm doing great. And then... That's until you have all these physical medical issues due to your excess of gastronomical pleasures. And then it says, um, thus, the phrase nefesh amel amla lo. The toiling soul toils for the body alone. That's what that phrase means. Then it says, whereas the soul of the speaker of pleasant words enjoys sweetness. And why? Kiakaf alav pihu, because his mouth has burdened him with that. Rashi interprets the verse. Let me stop for a second. If you notice, I said the word amel, amla. Okay, those words have the root amal, which means fruitless labor. This is where the word Amalek comes from. I know that we always say that Amalek is doubt, but Amalek is the same gematria as the word Sefek. Sefek is doubt. So yes, Amalek can be called doubt, but more importantly, Amalek is called fruitless labor. And that's what happens when your body or when your soul toils for your body. So that you're like Amalek, you're toiling you're damaging your soul for the sake of your body. That's why Amalek had to be wiped out and has to be wiped out, by the way, because it's destroying our soul. And that's the only 
Literally, hear me out. That's the only time Hashem says to completely destroy a people. Ones who are trying to, or ones, basically ones who attack the soul of a Yehudi. Those are the ones Hashem says, I need you to completely wipe them out. All of their stuff, wipe that out too. So the nations that the children of Israel that we're called to go in and, and cause to dispossess the land, like go to war with them if we have to, if they don't convert and make shuva. Uh, those people, we have to wipe them out completely because they are ones who attack the soul, who cause us to have fruitless labor. And it's just kind of like, that's, uh, that's pretty intense. This is why Gog and Magog is such a thing. Trust me, go listen to Rabbi Alana Nava's drosh on Gog and Magog. Uh, he posted basically, why isn't Mashiach here yet? And he posted that during the week of Parsha Ekev. And it was like close to the end of the week. So if you go to that drosh, you can learn about Gog and Magog. Because he says that Gog and Magog understand that you have to go against the principality, not the principality, the angelic uh, Sar of the nation of Israel, which we know is Hashem, i.e. Memtet. And, you know, basically because every nation has a ministering angel appointed over it from which it derives its vitality. That's why when a nation's angel falls, then the nation itself falls. Gog and Magog understood that all the other enemies of Israel didn't. They're like, we're just going to go in and destroy Israel. Gog and Magog's like, no, I'm going to make war in the heavenlies. And it's just kind of like, wow. So, yeah, you got to be completely taken care of. So, anyway, that's a long explanation and swerve to the point about Amal from Amalek means fruitless labor and attacking the soul. Okay, so Rashi interprets the verse, Mishle 1625, in praise of a self-sufficient person. Reading a cough as force, as in kofe. If one works hard to earn his sustenance, he will fulfill his mouth's demands for food. Chazal and Sanhedrin 99b interpret nefesh amel. If someone works hard to acquire Torah knowledge, am la lo, the Torah will toil on his behalf. Asking Hashem to open the gates of understanding for him. Ki akaf alav pihu. Because he has bent his mouth to absorb. I don't know if I'm ever going to finish this drosh if I keep going. I, I already went past my buzzer, but this is just too good to stop. So I'm going to keep going as long as I can. Thank you for your being willingness to stand with me because... Ishpela decided to go on a rampage. Um, he had a violent outbreak, and I don't blame him because, you know, when you're studying Torah, that you just have to get violent sometimes. That's why it says the violent take it by force. So he texts me like it's okay with numerous messages, which some of them, by the way, I'm going to be uploading to Anchor. That's right to Shem. So hopefully you'll get to hear that. And then it's he. He decides to drop uh, Barakot 7a on me. It says along the same lines, Rabbi Yohanan said in the name of Rav Yossi, Rabbi Yossi, from where is it derived that HaKadosh Baruch Hu 
praise. How do we where where do we see that Hashem prays? As it is stated, I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of my prayer. Tehillim fifty six seven. Sika, not Tehillim. Yeshiyahu fifty six seven. Wow, you're gonna be like Tehillim says that? Thought that was Isaiah. Yeah, it is it is Yeshiyahu. And then it says the verse does not say the house of their prayer, but rather the house of my prayer. From here, we see the Hakadosh Baruchu prays. The Gemara asks, what does God pray? To whom does God pray? Now, obviously, if I saw that, I would completely go to to whom does God pray? Because I know the answer is to himself. But it would be interesting to see what Chazal say on that. But um, for the sake of this is beyond the scope of this drosh right now or this study time, um, we're not going to get to hear that. But anyway, Barricode 7a, you may find it in there. Okay. What does God pray? That's what this next comment on is what he shared. So he probably knew the other one was dangerous. So he didn't share that with me. But anyway, Rav Zutra Bartovia said that Rav said, God says, may it be my will that mercy, which is the attribute of the Yod and Hay and Vav and Hay, will overcome my anger towards Israel for their transgressions. Which, by the way, that could technically mean that may it be Hashem's will that the Torah overcomes the anger of Hashem. Because the Torah literally is the name of Hashem, like the Yod and Hay, the Vav and Hay. So just want to point that out. Zohar drops that. And then Hashem himself is like, this is why This is why I said, by the way, man, I should just get Barricode 7A out. But let me just, this is my last comment. I'm just going to make this one little deductive reasoning point. That if you go with the Torah as the name of Hashem, which it is, and then Hashem says, may it be my will that my mercy, i.e. my attribute of mercy, Torah, overcome my anger. Just seeing there that Hashem is praying to himself because he's talking about maybe my will that I listen to my words and overcome. They overcome my anger. So anyway, just for what that's worth, I just want to throw it out there. It can be definitely looked into, and I know that's a really big statement that I just made, and it's just like I met with your source for that. And it's just like, well, if we look at where we've been in the Torah studies so far, back in, I believe it was Parsha Naso, that it was talking about Moshe talking in the tent, or the tent of meeting with Hashem, and Ankalos, OG Ankalos bringing out that when Moshe was talking to the voice of Hashem, or talking with the voice of Hashem in the tent, Bami Bar 7889, basically. Yeah, 89 verses. Like, what? But anyway, it says that the commentators couldn't really differentiate if it was Hashem talking with Moshe or if it was Hashem talking with himself. And then when we see Mashiach praying, well, Mashiach is the voice of Hashem. So it's just like the voice of Hashem is talking to Hashem. Okay, so Hashem is praying to himself. And then it's like, okay, so when Hashem says, let us make man in our image and bear sheet chapter one, who is Hashem talking to? 
And Chazal say Hashem was talking with the Torah. It's just like, oh, so he was talking with himself again. So now, our deductive reasoned all of that and brought that over here to Barakote 7a and said, first of all, to whom does God pray? As the Gemara asked earlier, I said it, Hashem prays to himself. But then Rabbi Rav Zutra Bartovia said that Rav said, God says, may it be my will that my mercy will overcome my anger. And it's just like, yeah, talking, praying to himself. So anyway, that's where I got all that from. That's my source. I stand by it. And if I'm wrong, then, you know, Burgesham, if I'm right, then Burgesham. Either way, I'm not really seeking to try to, like, give extra input here. I'm just sharing what, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing right now. This is just an all-out assault, <laughs> you know? But it's like, well, you knew what you were getting into with this Midnight Tour study because that's where it's at. But anyway, it says... May it be my will that my mercy will overcome my anger towards Israel for their transgressions. And may my mercy prevail over my other attributes through which Israel is punished. And may I conduct myself towards my children, Israel, with the attribute of mercy. And <clears throat> may I enter before them beyond the letter of the law. See, that's just each pay law. What is wrong with you, boy? You need some help. Anyway, so when I find you, I will be football tackling you. Just to let you know. So, of course, I was just like, well, okay, so that's tractate, bear coat, 7A. Where do we see that? In the get you some of commentaries on the Torah, i.e. the Brit Hadashah, because we know that the Brit Hadashah, there's nothing new in it. It's just giving us some more insight to Torah, Tanakh, you know? So I'm like, okay, so obviously it's got to be in there somewhere. And it's just like, uh, well, what about Romans 8.34? Who can say God's people are guilty? Who can condemn them or pronounce punishment? No one. Because Mashiach Yeshua died, but he was also raised from the dead, and now he's on God's right side, or at his right hand, as Tehillim 1.10.1 puts it, appealing to God and interceding for us and pleading for us. Again, so may it be my will that my attribute of mercy will overcome my anger towards Israel for their transgression. Uh, may I conduct myself toward children of Israel with my attribute of mercy. May I enter before them beyond the letter of the law. Okay, yeah, Romans 8.34, sure. Okay, Hebrews 7.25. So he is able, Mashiach Yeshua that is, always to save completely, forever, those who come to God through him because he always lives. Asking God to help, interceding for them. Okay, so again, may it be my will that my mercy will overcome my anger, and may my mercy prevail over my other attributes okay yep there we go my mercy Yeshua here saving us completely from uh judgment and all that kind of stuff all right so there it is interceding for us okay so with looking through those couple of passages it was just like okay so at some point yes yahoo 5312 comes into the picture for this reason 
I will make him a great man among people. Give him a portion with the great ones and he will share in all the divide or share in all things and divide the spoils with those who are strong because he willingly gave and laid bare and poured out his life and was treated like a criminal numbered and counted with rebels and transgressors. He carried away and bore the sins of many people and asked forgiveness and made intercession for those who sinned. So the verse that I need to add to that is forgive them for they know not what they do. So, yeah, Hashem prays to himself and Hashem prays and there's all of that. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> Luke twenty three thirty four. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Uh, say la. Anyway, as if I could do any more, uh, I am going to because really what I wanted to title this uh, Midnight Towards Study Session, Towards Study Session is Struggling. And, you know, I have a guy that I work with. I'm going to give him his Hebrew name now. Shaul. He's talking to Shaul and he was saying, hey, you podcasting tonight? And I was like, you know it. And he was just like, well, what you going to talk about? And I was like, well, I'm going to talk about struggling. And he looked at me like, boy, what is wrong with you? How? And um, it's just kind of like, that's, that's what I'm going to talk about. And it's just like, so it was very anticlimactic. But, you know, I'm like, yeah, the struggle. And why? Because if you look at the overall picture of what we've been talking about for the past hour and a half, uh, basically, you see this picture of us choosing the path of life. And as we're choosing that path, as the Daily Dose states, uh, lucid, uh, shared by the amazing Hassan, that uh, we want to make sure that we don't regret this, that we don't regret choosing to walk in life, that we don't regret following Mashiach, that we don't regret denying ourselves, that we don't regret losing our lives for his sake. Yeah, I'm on some Luke 9 right now. Okay, so um, anyway, with that being said, there is, quote unquote, a struggling that we're going through and we're pursuing, we're toiling. We have a yoke on us. It's a light yoke, but it's a yoke and it becomes heavy when we become disobedient, but it lightens when we're obedient. So, uh, yeah, so that's why I wanted to talk about that. And to finish up in Shomer Blue over here, Chafetz Kaim contrasts the reward for Torah pursuits with that for material gain. Chafetz Kaim, you're touching on a really deep subject, a really sensitive heartstring right here. Because sometimes, for those of us who observe Torah, material gain becomes kind of a, a tough spot for us, if to, to say, lack of a better terms. And it says that in the business world, whew, one can become wealthy by capitalizing on the work of others. Hashem, however, rewards someone only for his own accomplishment. Hashem, however, rewards someone only for his own accomplishment. 
Also, in the material world, one is not rewarded for unsuccessful effort. But, but, did I say but? I said, did I say but? All right, sorry, I just had to, I had to do it. <laughs> anyway, uh, Southern Mikvist Jew over here. <laughs> Southern Baptist Jew. Okay. Anyway, I'm not really, I'm just, I had, I had a moment. But God rewards people for their efforts to serve him, even if they are not successful. That's legit. So if if you may be a person, if we may ever be a person who goes, I just can't get it. I don't speak Hebrew and I don't know. And I'm not that smart of this Torah study stuff. And it's just like, well, did you toil in it? Yes. Well, apparently if you did that, Hashem is going to reward you and he's going to, you know, bless you for your efforts because you're serving him and you're toiling in Torah. So um, don't feel that way if you if you do and don't nullify and negate with your own words the blessings and the gifting that Hashem is bestowing upon you, because up until the point you say I just can't get it. I'm not that smart. Uh, I'm not a Torah scholar. If you start doing that, your own words become your own worst enemies as Hashem is sending down blessing for your efforts. So am I saying that you uh, can impede the blessings of Hashem? Well, yeah, because if it works like that in any other area of your life, obviously it can work like that in this area. We impede Hashem's blessings all the time. When we don't listen to his commandments, we take away blessing because by default we're wanting to say, yeah, Hashem, give me death. That's cool. Let death happen in my life. Because that's what really happens when we say we don't want to be obedient. Furthermore, we impede Hashem when we just don't believe in him. And it's just kind of like we could see so much more if we would just believe. Which is what Ray A is also all about. So uh, I just wanted to quote Tehillim 110 because we talked about the right hand of the father. And it was just kind of like, wait, what did you just say? So switching out sources here. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. The Sefer shuffle. Every day I'm shuffling. All right. Tehillim 110 verse 1 from Sefer Yarok. This is uncalled for. Wait, 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 wait. Flipping pages. And it says four messiahs. I'm in Tehillim 108. And I guess it's quoting on verse 9. Oh, yes, it is. It says, mine is Gilead. Mine is Manashe. And Ephraim is the stronghold of my head. And Yehuda is my prince. Okay, that's the verse. And it says there are four messiahs. And the reason why I had to stop and I'm holding my head right now, because there are four cups that we drink on Pesach that correspond to the four salvations, which correspond to the four zit zit. So when we're wearing the garment of light, i.e. the Talit Katan or the Talit Gadol, we're surrounded by the four Mashiachs. And this is why we learned um, back during Parsha of Etkanan about the Shema. And we were talking about how the word uh, Echad, as in Hashem Echad, 
Echad relates to the Mashiach, and um, because it was like the whole body of many members, one body, many members, that's Echad, which is Hashem. And then we related that to Mashiach. So Mashiach is Hashem, basically, which we said during this, we just said he's the Zimzum of Hashem, and that um, Mashiach is in Hashem. And so it's not that, quote unquote, Hashem is completely in Mashiach, but that Mashiach is completely in Hashem, and he takes the the essence of Hashem and puts it into a human likeness, and that is Mashiach. So anyway, that's a chad. All that to say, the corner of the zitzit corresponds to the number 13 because there are five knots with eight strings. So you have literally four echads, which is Mashiach. And when you put four times 13, that is 52, which is Ben, which is the son. And that's why Ben, Yah, son of God, Bina, understanding. That's where that all flows in. Okay, but anyway, commentary from Sefer Yarok. We're just going to add to that sandwich. In the future redemption, there will be four leaders. There will be four anointed ones. Mine is Gilead alludes to Eliyahu, who was from Gilead. So you got Eliyahu. Mine is Manashe alludes to a leader who will be a descendant of Manashe. Ephraim is the stronghold of my head. This alludes to the Kohen anointed to lead Israel in battle, who will be a maternal descendant of Ephraim. Yehuda is my prince. This alludes to the great redeemer, Mashiach, whose ancestor is David. There's four. That is from Bami Bar Rabbah 14.1, that the ancestor of Mashiach is David. All right. Well, thanks a lot for flipping pages and punching me in the face. All right. So Tehillim 110, we finally arrived. Just going to read to you one, two, three blurbs. Just straight out. Rashi and Mizudot interpret the psalm as a reference to Abraham and his war against the four kings. Radak, citing the Ibn Ezra, interprets it as a reference to David and his battle against the Philistines, just after he was anointed as king. According to Sephorno, the subject of the psalm is Mashiach. So we have Abraham. David and Mashiach, which just so happens to be initial letters, Aleph, Dalet, Mem, which is Adam. So the Psalm of Adam. Okay, here we go. It says that, tell anyone one, Neum Adonai Le'adonai. God said to my master, Abraham. Because uh, the text completely says Adonai. So just Throwing it out there, Abraham just got called out on I, just like Sarah called him out on I. Parshavayar. Anyway, our sages have taught Sanhedrin 108b. After Abraham defeated Amraphel and the kings who were his allies, other kings, other kings asked Abraham's servant Eliezer, "How did Abraham defeat?" Such a vast army with just a few men? Eliezer responded, God said to my master Abraham, Sit securely in anticipation of the salvation of my right hand. Which, by the way, salvation is Yeshua. 
So literally you can read that verse and says, sit, sit securely in anticipation of Yeshua of my right hand. I shall not rest until I make your enemies trod upon like a stool for your feet. It's from Mezudo. Abraham and Mashiach from Midrash. In the future, God will place Mashiach on his right and Abraham on his left. When Abraham will wonder about this arrangement, God will appease him by saying, yes, your descendant Mashiach is on my right, but I am on your right. Thus, your humility made me great. God's humility will make Abraham great. Midrash Tehillim to 1836. Mashiach's greatness will derive from his ancestor Avraham, who was the first to reveal the light of God in the world. That's from Shanae Lukot Habrit, cited by Yahel Or. There's that. Now, where I was going with this whole understanding of struggling is I was going to go to the Kehert Humash. And go to the overview, first of all, and take a few um, drops from there. And it starts out by saying, Re'e, the name means see. And as we saw in the preceding two parashot, Moshe asked God to let the Jewish people perceive divinity as he did, with the same direct clarity associated with sight. But God refused his request. The generation of the conquest and thus all subsequent generations until the final redemption. So that's us. Would only be able to perceive divinity indirectly in the manner of hearing. So the way that we will be able to see until Mashiach comes is by hearing. And hearing more specifically as in today if you will hear his voice i.e. Being obedient to the mitzvot. So yes, the mitzvot are the voice of Hashem. Okay, anyway, back to the overview. It says, how is it then that Moshe begins this next portion of his address to the people by saying, Well, as previously explained, the reason God did not grant Moshe's request, but instead kept the people at a level of hearing, was on account of the inherent advantages of hearing over sight. When a person has to establish and preserve divine consciousness by, here we go, struggling against the deen, which is judgment of this world or harshness of the material world, his perception becomes infinitely more profound than it could have been had it been solely based on direct but external revelation. So in other words... We have an advantage over seeing by hearing and struggling with the material world. So we are seeing Hashem. And again, Yochanan 14, that whole thing about you'll see me, but the world can't. So because we choose to struggle, because we choose to live life and have some circumstances that are hard, that want to discourage us, that want to, going back to the daily dose here, stand by. I just want to make sure I'm quoting this specifically, because we going in 
like between M and O right now. Okay, but it says circumstances like that want to cause us to be disappointed, that want to cause us to be depressed, or cause us to be regretful of observance, i.e. being obedient to the commandments. There's an advantage that we have as we're going through the struggle. This is going to give us the ability to have an advantage over directly perceiving Hashem like Moshe did. So anyway, uh, the overview, skipping down a little bit. This is in the Kehert Humash, by the way. But in addition to this, the result of successfully hearing divinity, of meditating and contemplating the reality of God deeply enough to affect and refine our cognitive and emotional faculties, is that the subliminal sight that God implanted within us on account of Moshe's prayer surfaces to our consciousness. Our clouded perception of truth is purified by our arduous efforts at clarification. So we will be able to see Hashem in the way that Moshe's prayer for us went forth to Hashem. That Hashem was like, nope, they'll be able to see me by hearing. Well, we will understand that we will have a clear sight of Hashem because we're going to struggle through today hearing his voice. And when we do that, we're going to make clarity to us, like truly seeing Hashem. And this is another point for us, too, that as we uh, anticipate and wait for the arrival of Mashiach Yeshua, that in order for us to not get sidetracked by false Mashiachs who will say, I am Mashiach. I am him, I am he, I am here, you know, this whole kind of thing, so that we don't get sidetracked. When that happens, if, we, if we're struggling to see Hashem, like struggling and obedience and becoming one with Hashem, then we're going to know the fake. You know, that's why if you want to be a person who can spot fake money, you don't go out and study the fake money, you study the real thing. You know, so because we study Hashem, we will know when the false Mashiach shows. And so that's why it's so important for us to struggle. So important for us to have arduous efforts at clarification. I said all that and literally the next statement in the overview is we see, quote unquote, divinity with the same clarity of perception as did the generation of the desert who experienced the divine revelation. Yeah. So anywhere, any in any or in other words, clearly see Hashem just like Moshe saw Hashem, just like the the generation of the wilderness saw Hashem, the struggling, the arduous efforts that we're putting in to being obedient to the mitzvot. So why are we observing the commandments? Why are we observing the mitzvot? We're clearing up our per perception and perceiving of Hashem. And then it says that our advantage is that this site is superimposed on and anchored in the solid inner conviction born of having methodically refined our conscious faculties on our own. Therefore, after instructing us to hear, which is at Kev, Moshe tells us to see. And while I'm mentioning Lakute Sukkot, why don't I go ahead and just drop in a little um, little nugget that I found here, a little jewel actually. 
there there's a, a literally a minor holiday called Chof Menachem Av, which is the 20th of Av. And it says that this is mentioned only once in Ta'anit 26a. Now, as I share all of this little swerve before I get to the Re'e, Likute Sikot, if you think about why in the world, in the whole account of the crucifixion with Mashiach carrying his stake to Golgotha, there's a guy named Shimeon from Cyrene who is called forth to help him carry his stake. I.e., that if this guy or anybody else, by the way, weren't called forth to carry that beam for Mashiach because Mashiach was not able to carry it anymore due to him being so bruised and badly beaten. But even when this person came to help, Mashiach was still able to uh, hold on to it and carry it. So this guy came in, so to speak, as a assistant to help carry this. Why in the world is that even a thing? Like, why why is that mentioned? Listen to this. Chof Menachemav, the 20th of Av, this little festival here, Ta'ani 26a, says the 20th of Av is also 40 days before Rosh Hashanah. 40 days before Rosh Hashanah, seriously. 40 days of Teshuvah, which start with the Rosh Hadesh Elul and goes to Yom Kippur. Well, if you back up a little bit, 40 days to Rosh Hashanah starts on the 20th of Av. My goodness. Okay. The, the implications of all this coming together right now is crazy. The there There is nothing in the Basora that is little. Everything is just big beyond your wildest dreams. So the guy who's helping Mashiach carry his crucifixion stake, corresponding here to the 20th of Av, 40 days before Rosh Hashanah. Okay. In the customs of the Kehila Kadisha Beit El Yakbut, printed in the text of Divrei Shalom, it is written that on the 20th of Av, vows should be annulled because this date is 40 days before Rosh Hashanah. And then it says, it is stated that Rosh Hodesh Elul begins the service of preparation for Yom Kippur. For it is 40 days before that holiday. Significantly, Yehezekiel, Ezekiel, 40, verse 1, refers to Yom Kippur as Rosh Hashanah. Seriously, dude. See Lakute Devarim, page 58a. Alright, I gotta do it. I got to do it. I'm sorry, y'all. This is just... Lakute Torah Devarim, page 58. Let's see if I can find that. I do have access to Lakute Torah. Let's see if I can find something about Rosh Hashanah and Devarim here. Okay, so Lakute Torah, one of the excerpts. I think this is the closest I'll be able to get. Um, it's talking about what draws down the 13 attributes of mercy on Yom Kippur. It says. The 13 attributes of mercy which are revealed on Yom Kippur are drawn down through the above act of Iskafya, which is self-control against indulging in lust and worldly pleasures and extravagancies. 
So that's being said there. Um, still looking for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Let's see. Okay, well, I don't have access to that, but uh, Yom Kippur being called Rosh Hashanah. Wow. Um, not really sure. Man, I wish I could find that. Gotta give me some Lakute Torah. Anyway, that was worth the find. So thank you for joining me on that short little trip. But Lakute Torah Devarim, page 58a, that wrote Yom Kippur as Rosh Hashanah. It's crazy. Anyway, so talking about the 20th of Av and the man who helped Mashiach carry the crucifixion stake. says in Tractate Ta'ani 26a, a Mishnah there relates that this was a holiday for the descendants of Pachas, Moab, Ben, Yehuda. For on that day they would bring an offering of wood in the Beit HaMikdash. At one time there was a shortage of wood in the Beit HaMikdash. Well, I submit to you that if this guy didn't help Mashiach carry his crucifixion stake, there would have been a shortage of wood and supply for the crucifixion of Mashiach. But anyway, I digress. It says there was a shortage of wood in the Beta Migdash, and several families agreed to donate wood for the altar. When the wood which one family brought was used up, another family brought one more. In commemoration of their generosity, our sages ordained that even when there was enough wood, the descendants of these families would bring wood on the days when their ancestors had and their wood would be used on that day. These families would celebrate the day as a holiday. Man. Okay, so I'm just wanting to throw it out there. I wonder if Shimeon from Cyrene. Let me uh, let me look up that real quick. It is Luke 23:26. Okay, Luke 23. I'm in Luke 23. How about that? Alright, so it says, As they led Yeshua away, Shimeon, a man from Cyrene, a port city in North Africa, modern Libya, was coming from the fields, the countryside. Shimeon may be a Jewish pilgrim visiting Jerusalem for Pesach, or an immigrant living there. Oh yeah, there would have been a lot of people making Aliyah to Yerushalayim because this was Pesach. Wow, okay. So where was his homeboy from? This is kind of good to look into here. It says they forced him to carry Yeshua's stake and to walk behind him. Okay, so that's 26. Uh, that's 2326. So let me pull out the, uh, see here, trying to see what's the best way to look up uh, Shimeon from Cyrene, coming from the countryside. Uh, Let's see here, Luke, going to Bible Hub now, look up a little bit of commentary. All right, so Cyrene is a weird Greek word. Uh, Kure 
Nayus, uh, Syrian, native of Syrene, inhabitant of Syrian. Hmm. It's another guy in uh, Acts 13 1 from Syrene as well. Uh, wow. Acts 13 1. Man, we're doing some serious study right now. Now, there was in Antioch among Mashiach's congregation, prophets and teachers, Barnaba and Shimeon, uh, called Niger, and Lucius from Cyrene, and Menachem brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Rob Shaul. All right, so this is interesting because you know the whole thing that people say, you know, prophets no longer existed after the destruction of the temple and all that kind of stuff. Well, temples kind of like still in existence here, so we got some prophets and teachers going on. So there's all that, and we got this Lucius who's also from Cyrene. So a couple people here, but need to pull out a little bit more on this word what we got a large and very flourishing city of Libya or Pentapolitana about 11 Roman miles from the sea among its inhabitants were a great number of Jews whom Ptolemy the first it says that uh, had brought there and invest it with the rights of citizens. Okay. So, there's a flourishing city here going on 11 Roman miles from the sea. Alright, so with that backdrop, I was hoping that something would connect to... Where am I source at over here? Okay. These people who brought the wood, because it would be interesting if he correlated to the families who donated wood. That's where I was going with that. There are two opinions regarding the identity of the descendants of Pachas Moab ben Yehuda, the family who brought the wood offering on the 20th of Av. Rabbi Meir maintains that they were descendants of David ben Yehuda, i.e. King David. Rab Yossi, by contrast, maintains that they were descendants of Yoav ben Zeruah, commander of David's armies. Um, keep going here. Oh, my goodness. So one answer could be the difference of opinion between Rob Mayer and Rob Yossi does not concern historical fact for the descendants of Pakas Moab ben Yehuda were related to both David and Yoav since the two families married together and thus their lineage was intertwined. To cite a parallel, I'll say just Sota 43a regarding the identity of Putiel the name refers to Yitro, or that it refers to Yosef. Our sages reconcile the two interpretations by explaining the two families were intermarried. See, just stop. Yitro and Yosef's lineages intertwined. Good night. Okay, anyway, so all that going on. There's just this whole thing about the self-sacrifice, the giving wood to supply for the sacrifices, and um, 
yeah so just wanted to drop that out there don't really know uh what the lineage of Cyrene or Shimeon from Cyrene is but it would be really cool if he was somehow connected to those families who donated because um I mean that would just be really cool if it connected because it's just like why was he chosen from anybody else maybe he was conveniently close at hand but again we know that there are no coincidences so there's that so finishing up here in Lakute Sikot on Parshas Re'e, there was something that I was like really wanting to drop here. Uh, Rabbi Akiva said something. Let's see if we can go. Okay, they're doing. They're talking about meat in the desert. Okay, so there's that. Okay, but the whole thing about if the children of Israel ate meat or not in the wilderness and why did Hashem bring it up? You know, you may slaughter animals, you know, in the land without them having to be made of sacrifices. There's like all this different backdrop to that. But I want to go right here to this. There's uh, differences of opinion between Rashi and Akiva. And so dropping in over here to pull out the spiritual concept or the the main idea here that I want us to go with it says nevertheless Rashi also cites the opinion of Rabbi Akiva which emphasizes that after receiving the spiritual bounty associated with the land of Israel which is Eretz Yisrael a Jew must advance to a new level in the task of refinement for a Jew must continually approach new frontiers for a Jew must continually approach new frontiers. This is why Shaul would say strain and press towards the high mark. Anyway, each day he must elevate his spiritual level and expand his circle of influence. If there were matters which could not be refined yesterday, today one must seek to connect them to God's oneness. Just as this pattern of ascent applies each day, so too and even more so it applies each week, each month, each year. Every year must incorporate a new and higher level of spiritual service. To enable us to reach this higher level, we are granted the month of Elul as a preparation for Rosh Hashanah. And so, our divine service in Elul must be of a different nature than our service in the previous months for it prepares us to merit an inscription or an inscription for a good and sweet year that is adopted from the Sikot Shabbat Parasha Re'eh of 57.19 so where I was going with the whole idea of struggling not only that we're struggling with the circumstances of being observant and what it's like with all of the hardships and everything that we go through but we also need to be struggling to reach higher levels in our service so there's all sorts of struggling and this is what it is to hear the voice of Hashem ultimately to have a clear perception of who he is if we don't struggle and toil in Torah we ain't gonna see nothing and we ain't gonna hear nothing and if we don't see nothing if we don't hear nothing then we're distancing ourselves from Hashem and Mashiach so 
We want to be able to see him even while he is not here. And then when we do get to see him, we want to make sure we're seeing the right him. So all of that to say, what do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam. Asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokenu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah. Amen. May we merit to see the return of Mashiach speedily and soon in our days. Amen.